The Old Testament reading is taken from the 34th chapter of uh, the prophet Ezekiel, beginning at the 7th verse. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for the flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks for his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Here ends the Old Testament reading. The Holy Gospel is written in the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to St. John, beginning at the first verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, and the thief and the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep who are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the same of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be unto thee, O Lord, for this thy holy gospel. Lord, may your word live dwell in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. This is the third in our series of sermons, The Verbs of Discipleship, based on John's Gospel. Our aim is to bring out the riches of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Or rather, or rather to bring out the riches of Jesus, the Son of God whose disciple we are to be. We've had to drink, John 4, last week to eat, John 6, and today to hear, John 10. What images uh, do you think of when you hear these words? I am the good shepherd. Do you think of a gentle pastoral scene? The green hills of Galilee? That was not the reaction of those who heard, first heard Jesus. Their reaction is in the last words of our gospel reading this morning. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus' words, I am the good shepherd, provoked an extreme reaction. One side, demon possessed and raving mad. The other side, well, the best they can say is he can't be demon possessed because he performed a miracle of opening a man's eyes who was blind. Now these words of Jesus about being, among other things, the good shepherd were not spoken in the green hills of Galilee, but in the heart of the great city of Jerusalem, with this magnificent temple of the living God. And they were spoken during a bitter conflict between Jesus and members of the Pharisee party, after Jesus had indeed healed a man of blindness. You may say, what was the reason for such an explosive reaction to Jesus saying he is the good shepherd? Well, for a start, 
Jesus is not speaking about agriculture. He's speaking about leadership, kingship, and about the God of Israel. He is making an explosive claim, especially when you get the sharp contract you make with the not good shepherds. And in this text, as we listen to it, there are three images Jesus uses of himself, slightly overlapping and different in the language of the sheep farming of the ancient Near East. And every time he uses the language, there's a contrast. Verses one to five is the legitimate sheep farmer versus the stranger. Second from 10, verse 10, chapter 10, seven to 10, between the gate of the sheep pen versus thieves and bandits. And thirdly, verse 11 to 18, the good shepherd versus the uncommitted hired hand. We'll come to those in just a moment, but first, we need to grasp three important background truths to understand what's going on. The first important background truth is we need to know the difference between grazing practices in modern Australia and in Jesus' day. Today in Australia, as you know, and maybe even done, we farm sheep in huge paddocks. You put the sheep in the paddock, come back later on, check they're still there, still got the water, then once a year, get them up and shave and, and, and shear them. This is, I understand it, the modern practice. Don't worry, my grandfather was a sheep farmer, so I, I can speak with authority on this. Back in the ancient Israel, uh, as today, by the way, in the Middle East, there is no fenced grazing practice at all. Therefore, flocks have to be continually protected and guarded by a shepherd. And therefore, a shepherd wanders around with them. There were sheep pens in places so the sheep could be overnight stored in, in bitter weather, also protect them against marauding wild animals. But it's a different kind of sheep, sheep farming than we're used to. First background truth. Second background truth. We need to know the difference between the image of shepherd and sheep farming, which has special resonances in Jesus, to Jesus' audience. Now it is obvious he's not actually speaking about agriculture. Shepherding and sheep language are about something else. They're about leadership or kingship. Shepherd is one of the scriptural images for the king, even of God himself. You can see why, because shepherds guide, protect, feed, their sheep as a good ruler would guide, protect and feed those, his people. You see the obvious parallel. And it's everywhere. You think of the famous Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Or in the prophecy of Ezekiel, which begins, the word of the Lord came to me, that's me, it's me Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord said, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? There's been a significant failure of leadership in Ezekiel's day. We'll come back to Ezekiel shortly. First thing, sheep practices. Two, shepherding as an image of kingship. Thirdly, we need to know that these words of Jesus are spoken in the context of an increasingly bitter conflict with the Pharisees which begin with an incident in the previous chapter of John. 
The Pharisees um, were a popular, devout, strict, observant movement of Jewish laymen. In reaction to the idolatry and compromise all around them, Pharisees sought to prepare for the return of the God of Israel by living lives of purity and zeal for the Torah, God's law. They lived lives over and above what was required for lay people, very strict. It's been estimated that in Jerusalem in Jesus' day, one in 10 was a Pharisee. They were the most popular of, those, of the groups. But tragically, throughout the Gospels, they are the ones who find themselves most often in conflict with Jesus, as here. What happened was this. The Pharisees had found out that Jesus had miraculously healed a man who'd been born blind. That sounds wonderful. Ah, oh, no, there's a problem, a big problem. The day on which Jesus had put mud on the man's eyes and sent him to wash and then have his eyes healed was a Sabbath, a day on which the devout Israelite was not to do any manner of work, no matter how trivial it might, how trivial it might seem. And that's why they thought that Jesus was a breaker of the Torah. And there's a rather long and humorous exchange in chapter 9 of John between the Pharisees and the healed man, where he actually runs rank, rings around them. It's rather worth reading. It ends with them concluding about Jesus, and I quote, we know that God has spoken to Moses, the one who gave, God gave the Torah to, you see. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he came from. And they dismiss the man who'd been healed as born entirely of sin. Now that's the context of Jesus' powerful words here in chapter 10. It's his response to them saying, I don't know where he came from. And as I mentioned at the beginning, three different images are used by Jesus in the language of sheep farming of the ancient Near East. First, how can you spot the difference between the sheep's actual shepherd and a crook? Verses one to five. Very truly I tell you, by the word Pharisees, by the way, is NIVism added in to make clear, but it's not there in the original. So very truly I tell you, anyone who climbs does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way as a thief or robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The legitimate, there's, a, there's a pen, the true shepherd gets in because he's known the other guy climbs over the edge, says Jesus. How do you recognize the two? Verse three, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. Then Jesus describes the shepherd whom the sheep hear and listen to his voice. He calls them by name, leads them out. So you imagine the image of the shepherd coming in, calling his sheep, perhaps the images of a number of various flocks mixed up in the pen, calls his own out, they go out, he leads them. And why did he, verse four, his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. The legit shepherd, is the one that's recognized by the sheep. The sheep hear him. The other is a stranger whom the sheep don't recognize and run away from. 
Now, despite what you hear, and if you're going to come to 10.30, Peter um, White and I, we disagree, Paul White and I disagree on this matter, and he's wrong, I just want to say that clearly, for the record. Sheep are not as stupid as you think. A UK paper, The Telegraph, had an article some years ago entitled, quote, Sheep are far smarter than previously thought. I've got the quote in the front. And they did some research into this matter. They reported the University of Cambridge did a study on sheep. What did they find? Quote, sheep have relatively advanced learning capacities, capabilities, are adaptable, can map out their surroundings mentally, and may even be able to plan ahead. Now, Jesus knew this because sheep will follow the voice of the shepherd they know. That's his point. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from a stranger because they don't recognize his voice. His, Jesus' whole point is simply, you can't fool a flock of sheep. Clear enough? True. And common sense, really, if you were familiar with the customs of the day and what sheep are really like. And yet, verse 6 says, he used this figure of speech and they, again the word Pharisees have been added in, did not understand what he was telling them. Sheep may be smart, but plainly not Jesus' audience. What was he saying to them? Clearly not advising them on sheep farming, saying something else. So when they don't understand Jesus, what does he do? He says the same thing even more pointedly. By the way, that's Jesus' typical response to being misunderstood. To say the same thing again, only worse. He never explains. He just goes forward. Same here. Therefore, Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Now that's not vague, it's now clear. I am the gate. The image now is not, <coughs> not so much the shepherd as the gate in the sheepfold in which the sheep are kept safe for the night. It's a gate to safety and a gate to life. There's a violent contrast this time. Verse 8, all who've come before me, he said, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. You wonder who he has in mind, who are these alternatives? Who are these who've come before? Is it the house of Caiaphas and the rich high priest cronies who do deals with the idolatrous Romans to stay in power? Is it the occasional violent extremists that tried to purify Israel and lead it to redemption by rebellion, what later were called the zealots? Is he talking about the very Pharisees in front of him who zealously promote Torah purity and observance as a way to prepare for the coming of the God of Israel? Or is it the ubiquitous Herods ruling that ruling the little kingdom with all their pomp, pomp and violence and compromise? All we know is, he says, all who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. In contrast with those, verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. A leader who brings salvation. And the reason is to do with the, the motivation between the two. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life, have it to the full. That's the great difference between this leader and the other leaders. There's one other difference, even greater. The difference how far each will go for the sake of the sheep. Third image. The difference between the good shepherd and the one who only does it for the money. 
Ear shepherding, what it was called in those days. <laughs> Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Now here it comes. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. <clears throat> on the other hand, verse 12, the hired hand is not the shepherd. and doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The owner of the sheep lays down his life for the sheep. For the hired hand, it's not worth the money. Not worth, not worth the money. I'm, I'm out of here. That's the contrast. The contrast of ownership is the contrast of care and the contrast of knowledge. Verse 13, the, the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. It's just a job. On the other hand, verse 14, I am a good shepherd, I know my sheep. And my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Not just a job for this shepherd. He cares for the sheep. He knows them and they know him. They're his own and he lays down his life for them. He is both legitimate and recognised. The three contrasts are the sheep hear the voice of the legitimate shepherd. He is the one who lets them for life and the one who lays down his life for them. Interestingly, in verse 16, you'll notice Jesus suggests, without explaining what he means, as usual, there are other sheep, he says, not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there'll be one flock and one shepherd. I think as I look out from this pulpit, I'm looking at some of those sheep. I think our Lord is referring to sheep not in the sheep pen of Israel, but amongst the nations. And most of us this morning are in that category. The key point though is sheep are not as dumb as, they, as you think. They recognize the voice of the one they can trust. That's how they know who the shepherd is. And frankly, that's how they identify themselves as sheep. And behind all this, Jesus says, is God the Father. This is not a claim to autonomous authority. Jesus never makes the claim to autonomous authority through the whole Gospels. It's a claim of authority given to him by God the Father. As you see in verse 17, the reason the Father loves me, he says, is that I lay down my life, thinking of his coming death, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. This command I've received from my Father. That's where the response comes. The very next sentence, he's demon-possessed and raving mad while I listen to him. Though others are not too sure, these are sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? When you realize the enormity of what Jesus is saying about himself, you can see the reaction, he's a demon-possessed and raving mad, is more reasonable than you might have thought, actually. He has authority to lay down his life, take it up again. He alone is the authentic shepherd. He alone is the one recognized by the true sheep. He alone is the gate to life in its fullness, really? 
There's even, and there's more, there's more. Jesus claimed to be the good shepherd, evokes echoes of what we saw in our first reading, Ezekiel 34, which is a condemnation of Israel's leadership by God. Woe to you shepherds who take care of, the, of only yourselves. So how will God fix the situation? Well, in Ezekiel 4, 34, 11, listen to this. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from the places where they have scattered in a day of clouds and darkness. Again, verse 16, I, says God, will shepherd the flock with justice. That is, God himself will step in. He will be the good shepherd for Israel. Well, may Israel say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. See, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's echoing a divine role. He's using the language of the God of Israel himself, coming a shepherd. No wonder they thought he was raving mad. Also in Ezekiel, there are other, there's another layer in Ezekiel. There's one who God will install as a shepherd on behalf of God. That's in verse 23, after our extract, where God says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them, and he will tend them and be their shepherd. I, my, I the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be my prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. The name David is the name of the great king of the past, the one whom God has commissioned. The new king will be like that. The word commissioned in Hebrew is Messiah, Messiah, or in Greek, Christos, or Christos, the anointed one of God. So again, Jesus is making claims to both play the divine role and to be, in effect, the new David. So the question you're asked as you sit there listening, is he demon-possessed and raving mad? Or has he spoken the deep truth about himself and you? And that, dear brother and sister, is the question of this morning. Three things follow. One, hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. Be his sheep. To hear is the verb of discipleship, because as you hear, as you recognize Jesus, as you know him, you realize you're also saying that you are his sheep. Jesus says, I know my sheep, my sheep know me. I lay down my life for my sheep. So the, 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 it, it's attending to and recognizing the voice of Jesus as that good shepherd who lays down his life for us has come to have life. Two, to turn away from false shepherds. A turn to Christ means a turning away from something or something else. There's a contrast here. It's not just add Jesus onto your unchanged life. It's a turn to Christ. I turn to Christ. I turn away from, I repent of my sins. I renounce what is evil. Now, for us, there will be a contrast. Our problem won't be the Pharisees of the first century or any, or any of the other figures we mentioned. They're long gone. But there are other candidates for shepherds in our lives. There are other people, things, or philosophies, which 
in which we can invest as our hope, as our, as our leader, as our focus. And the question is, do you really believe it when Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full? Is that true? Or should we look elsewhere? Is he first in your heart? The verb of discipleship is to hear the good shepherd, not others. Lastly, thirdly, live as a sheep of the good shepherd. Live in the confidence and assurance of the good shepherd. A life of hearing his voice. I don't know whether I mentioned this before, but I've got a good example of such a person in my days when I was rector of the parish of St Barnabas Broadway. We had a woman there called Dorothy who was having her 90th birthday. And Dorothy was very intelligent. She'd by the first graduates of, the med of medicine at the University of Sydney. But she was a quiet, somewhat private person, though a very fruitful Christian, both in the kind of person she was and the good works in which she abounded. Because she'd never been married, we had a birthday party for her in the parish hall. I interviewed her. I said, Dorothy, what does Christ mean for you? Her answer was memorable. She said, what does Christ mean for me, Robert? The king of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. She had nailed it. There was hardly a dry eye in the hall. <laughs> By citing those words of Henry Baker, that hymn, those words of a hymn, as her own, she had revealed her heart and deeply affected us all. I'm sorry to say Dorothy died not much later. Although, being his shepherd, she will live with life abundant forever at the resurrection. She knew that the verb of discipleship is to hear.